This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Hello again, and welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice Podcast, your bi-weekly source of news, views, and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Merck, Sharp, and Dome Corp, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. As always, I'm James Bannister. And I'm Emma Phillips. Today's episode is going to explore EASD, ADA, and ESC recommendations on selecting glucose-lowering agents, particularly when considering individual scenarios. Later on in the episode, we'll be joined for a discussion of the algorithms in practice by consultant endocrinologist Dr. Ronald Goldenberg. As usual, all references discussed during the session are available in the episode notes. In addition, if you're already thoroughly familiar with the latest guidelines, including the 2019 and 2020 documents, do feel free to skip ahead to the interview. Now, we've previously discussed these guidelines in other episodes of the podcast, mostly in passing, particularly regarding initial monotherapies. Today, however, we're going to deep dive into EASD, ADA and DSC algorithms in terms of initial treatment selection, treatment escalation and selecting between therapeutics based on individual patient circumstances. So to begin with initiating treatment, guidelines agree that metformin monotherapy should be the first choice of therapy for many patients. However, ESC guidelines from September 2019 recommend that people who have established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or who are at high risk of developing it should start with a GLP-1 receptor agonist or SGLT2 monotherapy. High risk is defined in the ESC guidelines as having diabetes for a duration of more than 10 years plus any additional risk factor, including age, hypertension, dyslipidemia, obesity or smoking. However, ADA and EASD guidance disagree with this approach, with a new treatment algorithm published in both the 2020 ADA Standards of Care and a 2019 update to the 2018 EASD-ADA Joint Position Statement. Rather than recommending alternative monotherapies for high-risk patients, these new guidelines recommend that independently of HbA1c, people with established cardiorenal disease or at high cardiovascular risk should receive the addition of a GLP-1 receptor agonist or SGLT2 inhibitor on top of their treatment regimen. Specifically, a GLP-1 receptor agonist is preferred in people with established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or ASCVD. This includes prior myocardial infarction, ischemic stroke, or unstable angina. GLP-1 receptor agonists are also preferred in those with indicators of high ASCVD risk, specifically an age above 55 years with coronary, carotid, or lower extremity artery stenosis of above 50%, left ventricular hypertrophy, an EGFR below 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared, or albuminuria. SGLT2 inhibitors are preferred in patients where heart failure with reduced ejection fraction or chronic kidney disease are present, regardless of whether these ASCVD risk factors are present or not. Beyond cardiovascular risk, these 2019-2020 guidelines also note that providers should engage in shared decision-making around initial combination therapy in new patients, as this approach can extend the time to treatment failure, defined as an HbA1c exceeding the patient's individualized target. This shift towards early intensification builds on previous guidance, where 2018 guidelines recommended that in the case of a patient being far from their HbA1c target, therapy should be initiated with a combination of agents, either dual therapy if HbA1c is between 17 and 22 millimoles per mole from target, or an injectable if it is above 22 millimoles per mole from target. When providing this combination therapy, how should we select between agents? 
All guidelines agree that dual therapy should consist of metformin plus another glucose-lowering agent. Excluding those with cardiorenal risk, the choice of second-line therapy, according to the EASD-ADA algorithm, is mainly guided by three potential scenarios. These are a compelling need for weight loss, a compelling need to avoid hypoglycemia, and if the cost of therapy is a major issue. So let's explore each of these in turn, starting with the compelling need for weight loss. In these cases, the EESD-ADA guidelines again recommend providing either an SGLT2 inhibitor or GLP-1 receptor agonist, as both are associated with weight reduction. Thiazolidine dienes and sulfonylureas, however, should be avoided as they are associated with weight gain. The next most likely factor for consideration is the risk of hyperglycemia. Where there's a pressing need to avoid hyperglycemia, the EASD-ADA guidelines recommend choosing between a GLP-1 receptor agonist, an SGLT2 inhibitor, a DPP-4 inhibitor, and a thiazolidine dione. Sulfonylureas are not recommended in this scenario, as the class stimulate insulin secretion and thus can cause hyperglycemia as an associated side effect. Finally, where cost is a major issue, it's recommended to give either a thiazolidine dione or a sulfonylurea as a second-line therapy. Now, let's talk about third-line therapy. Guideline recommendations are less stringently guided when selecting between classes at third-line. Generally, where the second-line decision was between an SGLT2 inhibitor or a GLP-1 receptor agonist, the other agent should be considered at third-line, particularly if there is still a need for weight loss or cardiorenal protection. DPP-4 inhibitors can be provided alongside other oral medications, but should not be given in combination with a GLP-1 receptor agonist, due to their overlapping mechanism of action, and the same principles apply at fourth line and thereafter. Thiazolidine dienes and sulfonylureas may be offered if appropriate, but are generally not recommended over other options. Beyond triple therapy, guidelines recommend advancing to injectable-based therapy, which we will explore further in an upcoming episode. Overall, these are a lot of factors to consider when selecting between therapies, particularly with new guidance recommending potential treatment escalation based on cardiorenal risk alone, independent of HbA1c target and attainment. And while we've discussed this in the context of specific single-factor scenarios, real-world patients present with complex and overlapping priorities that further complicate clinical decision-making. Here to help make sense of the algorithm and provide his clinical advice is Dr. Ronald Goldenberg, consultant endocrinologist affiliated with North York General Hospital and LMC Diabetes and Endocrinology in Ontario, Canada. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Goldenberg. So, first of all, the 2019 ESD ADA update and 2020 ADA guidelines appear to be advocating combination therapy in more patients. Is the new standard to initiate with dual therapy, or is metformin monotherapy still the choice for most patients? Uh, metformin is still the first-line agent in the ADA EAST uh, algorithm, but there are certainly many clinical situations where initial dual therapy, usually with metformin, uh, is recommended. So, for example, um, independent of uh, A1C, if your patient has uh, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or high-risk indicators of cardiovascular disease, uh, then it would be recommended that uh, metformin plus a GLP-1 receptor agonist or metformin uh, plus an SGLT2 inhibitor uh, with proven cardiovascular benefit uh, be uh, initiated. Um, Also independent of A1C, if your patient has uh, heart failure, 
uh, particularly heft-reft heart failure or chronic kidney disease, then metformin plus an SGLT2 inhibitor with a proven benefit in reducing either heart failure or chronic kidney disease progression uh, would be uh, recommended. Uh, there are also uh, situations uh, where uh, initial dual therapy would be recommended in patients that do not have uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, chronic kidney disease, or heart failure. And in this situation, uh, uh, we do look at the A1C and if your A1C is at least 1.5% uh, or more above your individualized target, uh, the guidelines do allow for initial or early uh, dual combination therapy. And for example, if uh, weight loss is your main priority, you would be initiating metformin uh, with either a GLP-1 or an SGLT-2 inhibitor. Um, if hypoglycemia is your main priority to avoid, then uh, would be metformin plus either a TPP4 inhibitor, GLP-1, SGLT2 inhibitor, or TZD. And finally, for those patients who have that elevated A1C of 1.5% above target, if cost is your major issue, it would be metformin plus a sulfonylurea or a TZD. And there is another category for uh, initial uh, combination therapy, in this case, initial injectable uh, therapy where it will be recommended either a GLP-1 uh, with basal insulin or perhaps even basal bolus insulin therapy. And that would be for patients who have an A1C of over uh, 10% uh, or an A1C above 2% uh, above their individualized target. So as you can uh, see, there are uh, quite a number of uh, situations where dual uh, initial therapy would be uh, recommended in our patients with type 2 diabetes. Thank you so much. So similarly, the new guidance is to add on antihyperglycemic agents in certain patients independently of HbA1c. You touched on this with your previous discussion of patients who present with comorbidities at diagnosis, but how does this advice work in real-world scenarios? For example, if a patient is already receiving dual therapy with metformin and a DPP-4 inhibitor, and is well-controlled but develops atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, what should be done? Yeah, there's no doubt that the uh, ADASD algorithm now really stresses the benefits of GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors uh, in reducing major cardiovascular events. Uh, in the case of SGLT2 inhibitors, also heart failure and chronic uh, kidney disease. And these benefits are, in fact, largely independent of uh, A1C lowering. So for uh, individual patients that would benefit from these cardiorenal uh, event uh, reduction issues, um, these medications should be uh, provided uh, to our patients. And so, for example, the way we would implement this in practice is that if uh, your patient would benefit from these agents and their A1C is above target, then uh, we would simply add on uh, either a GLP-1 uh, or an SGLT2 inhibitor. Um, there are some provisos to uh, keep in mind, and that is if your patient's on a DPP-4 inhibitor and you're adding a GLP-1, generally you would discontinue the uh, DPP-4 inhibitor. And uh, uh, the criteria for initiating a SGLT2 inhibitor uh, vary by GFR level according to different jurisdictions, so you need to pay attention uh, to that uh, uh, as well. Uh, but there are uh, situations where our patient has an A1C that is at target, 
and they would still benefit from a GLP-1 or SGLT-2 for these cardiorenal uh, benefits. And in that situation, we uh, uh, often will switch uh, from an agent to a GLP-1 or an SGLT-2. So for example, if you happen to be on metformin and a DPP-4 inhibitor, um, if you want the patient to be on a GLP-1, we would simply switch the DPP-4 inhibitor to the GLP-1. And if we want them to be on an SGLT-2, uh, um, usually we would switch the DPP-4 uh, to the SGLT-2 inhibitor. Um, one very important practical issue that I want uh, clinicians to be aware of is that SGLT2 inhibitors do lose a lot of their glycemic efficacy when the GFR level is below 60. And so if your patient's on uh, metformin and a DPP4 inhibitor, but you want them on an SGLT2 inhibitor, if the GFR is less than 60, uh, my approach would be to add on the SGLT2 inhibitor rather than to uh, a switch from the DPP-4 to the SGLT-2 because um, if you switch from the DPP-4 to the SGLT-2 in the context of a very low GFR, you're probably going to have a deterioration uh, in the A1C. Uh, but, uh, but overall, uh, we want patients uh, on GLP-1 receptor agonists and or SGLT-2 inhibitors uh, to provide the you know, major uh, cardiorenal uh, benefits that we see with these agents. Wonderful, thank you. Finally, decisions are guided by differences between classes, which by and large feature similar effects across agents. However, looking at GLP-1 receptor agonists, we see a number of within-class differences with varying degrees of glycemic efficacy, weight loss efficacy, and level of evidence supporting cardiovascular benefit. How would you recommend selecting between within-class agents where there are these differences? Yes, yeah, so GLP-1 receptor agonists are quite different than a lot of other classes of antihyperglycemic agents that we use in type 2 diabetes, uh, because within the class, there are quite a lot of uh, uh, differences related to uh, uh, efficacy on A1C and body weight, and also cardiovascular uh, effects. And so, for example, uh, as a class, we know that GLP-1 receptor agonists have quite a high to very high glycemic efficacy, uh, often ranging from a 1% to 2% uh, A1C lowering. But what we know from the studies is that the longer-acting GLP-1 receptor agonists, uh, uh, such as the once-weekly agents, uh, dulaglutide and semaglutide, or even uh, liraglutide, uh, these seem to be more effective at lowering A1C than the uh, shorter-acting agents like exenatide uh, twice daily or uh, lixizenatide. Um, so that's something to uh, be aware of. Uh, we also know that as a class, GLP-1 receptor agonists are associated with uh, weight loss. And across all the uh, different agents, the weight loss can vary from one to four kilograms or more. Uh, the most effective uh, agent for weight loss seems to be uh, semaglutide, uh, um, closely followed by liraglutide, uh, dulaglutide, and exenatide. Uh, once uh, weekly. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, uh, there is evidence for cardiovascular reduction with some GLP-1 receptor agonists, uh, but uh, not in some others. And so it's very important for clinicians to recognize which of these agents do reduce major adverse cardiovascular events. And so, for example, we know that uh, liraglutide in the LEADER trial was shown to reduce major cardiovascular events especially in a secondary prevention uh, population. 
of semaglutide uh, in the sustained six trial uh, reduced cardiovascular events, also mainly in a secondary prevention uh, population. Uh, Dulaglutide uh, showed benefits in the rewind trial in both high risk primary prevention as well as secondary prevention. And finally, albaglutide uh, in the Harmony Outcomes trial showed a MACE benefit in uh, secondary prevention. So at the end of the day, um, you know, there's a spectrum of agents we can choose in G for GLP-1 receptor agonists and uh, considering their impact on A1C, uh, uh, body weight, and uh, particularly their benefit on uh, cardiovascular events helps us choose the, uh, the agent. Uh, and, uh, you know, the key thing in all the guidelines now is to uh, choose the class and the agent within that class that best, best matches your patient uh, profile. Excellent. Thank you so much for all your time today. Thank you. This brings us to the end of today's time. To summarise, new guidelines now recommend considering combination therapy as initial treatment and consideration of cardiorenal disease independently of HbA1c. Specifically, a GLP-1 receptor agonist is preferred for established cardiovascular disease and risk, while an SGLT2 inhibitor is preferred for established heart failure and chronic kidney disease. Beyond these, the combination of glucose-lowering agents should be guided by desired multifactorial effects, such as weight loss and the avoidance of side effects, such as hypoglycemia. Thanks for joining us. As a reminder, all references discussed in today's episode are available in the description, and we'd love to hear from you on social media. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our podcast on your favorite app or recommend us to your colleagues. You can also access all of our free accredited CME content at knowledgeandpractice.eu, including interactive case studies and packages for small group learning. Thanks again, and we look forward to joining you again soon.